Bibles, let's go to the book of Romans, the first chapter. Let me begin reading in verse 3 of Romans chapter 1. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, Priest from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request. If by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you shall be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and of me. I don't know that I have a title for what I want to talk to you about tonight. You could possibly just entitle it an old man rambling, but I don't have a title to give what I would love to share with you today. And I hope that I can share it in such a way that you can see some of the things that I have seen in this writing of Paul. We're not real sure at the time in which Paul wrote this gospel to the Romans. It is quite obvious that he's never been there because he says his desire is that he would get to meet them. And so he is anticipating that opportunity. It has to be before he set sail from Jerusalem in chains as a prisoner because he wouldn't have had the ability to get it to him in time that it could be read before he got there. They didn't have the postal system of that day that we have, so for him to be able to write a letter and get it to them would have taken a period of time. So somewhere on his journey from uh, Greece from Athens and stopping by Miletus, meeting the elders of Ephesus and sharing with them the information he needed to share. And they're being warned that if he continues to Jerusalem, that he will be bound in chains. But he said, no, that's where I, I have a destiny to go there. Apparently, he had a premonition that he probably would wind up a prisoner. But that didn't matter because for, he wanted to make it to Rome. He had heard of the churches that were there. 
We have very little information about what was happening there other than some of these little statements that Paul made. But their faith had been broadcast and known throughout the church of that day. Their faith was what caused Paul to desire to want to go there. And so he sets out with this desire to reach this city and to be able to minister with these people. And he makes some statements here that I think are statements that if we'd really focus on could help us understand our purpose in the world. He he declares to them that he wants to meet them because of their faith and his faith. And he wants to connect those two faiths. There's something that happens when we, as God's kids, can get together and to connect properly. Now, our world today has given us an ability that they think is connecting, but it's really not. They think that because you can right on somebody's wall, which I got a spanking for. When I was a kid, that's not something you did, but you can write on somebody's wall or you can send them a message or, or, or you can send them an email that you have connected. But that's not true. The Bible tells us that in the last days, one of the most important things we're going to do is to, to not forsake the assembling ourselves together. Why is that assembly so critical to all of us? Why is it important that we assemble together? It's only when you have the ability to see people that you really have the ability to connect. Paul declared, or Jesus declared, that the eye is the window of the soul. If I don't have the ability to see you in my conversations with you, the odds are incredibly high that I'm probably going to say something that could offend you, cause you pain, make you angry, or, or cause all kinds of issues because I don't have the ability to see you. The doctors in... Italy have discovered that in our brains is a set of neurons they call mirror neurons. They act just like a mirror. If I say something to you that causes you to laugh, the part of your brain that's operating as a result of laughter or joy, when I visually see it on your face, it triggers the same area of my brain to respond just like your brain is. So I have the ability to share the same feelings that you have just by watching you in the expression on your face. Have you ever noticed when someone laughs and there are others around that others get caught up in laughter and you start, you enjoy their affectionate laugh as a result just being there? Well, faith has that same connection if, if we can get together 
and I can connect my faith to your faith, and we can start connecting faith. Apparently, according to what Paul's indicating here, when the group of us get together, incredible things can happen as a result of just making that connection. We don't assemble because we have to. We assemble so that we have the benefit of connecting together in a a unified body that has the power to actually change the world that's around us. God is not shocked at what's happening in my world today. He's already been here according to his word. He's he's everywhere. He's, He's omnipresent. There's no place God is not. If that's true, then time doesn't exist because time is defined by how long it gets for, takes to get from point A to point B. So if, if he's where I'm at and you're at at the same time, time doesn't exist. So God has never lived in time. Now that's difficult for my brain to comprehend. Maybe it's not for yours, but it is mine. However, no matter whether I can comprehend it or not, God is already into tomorrow before I even get there. So God doesn't allow you to receive a blessing just so you can receive a blessing. The blessings of God come because God knows that tomorrow something might come along that you need a special touch. So before you ever get there, he makes sure, he knows where you're headed and what's happening next. So before you ever encounter that event, He's already going to be there and prepare you to have the ability to encounter the event and not destroy you. Now, our, our world is, is causing us to forget the importance of this connection. I've noticed traveling to America recently, that's one of the common things I hear every place I go, that pastors and, and congregations are are at a loss for the fact that people are afraid to come back together. And it's happening all over America. It's one of the number one conversations I've had every place I've landed. I've been picked up the airport. If I can get to my hotel, that conversation has happened. And as a result of what's happening, and it disconnects us, then we lose the ability to connect face together so that your faith and my faith connected, we, we can see miracles happen. We can see all kinds of things take place as a result of just connecting our faith. Now, Paul declares that I am thankful. I, I, I thank God every day for you. I haven't never met you. I don't even know you. I, I'm waiting for that time that we can see one another and I can connect. But I am thankful every day simply because I've heard of what you've had to go through and that your faith has not been destroyed. Church at Rome became incredibly powerful. History tells us or indicates that Peter is the one who arrived there first and started the church in Rome. That's a strong part. We don't know. We, We don't have that information other than what others have said. But someone took them the gospel. And in the city where all of the, the persecution started, 
It was here in Rome that if they didn't declare Caesar was Lord, they were, they were sent to the arena to become uh, the target of an animal or a man as their lives were destroyed. They were put in skins and, and it was sewed together and they were doused with water and as those skins would shriek, you could hear their bones break and they were crushed alive. That was the price they paid. But it didn't keep them from having their faith in God. No matter what the circumstances came, I'm not sure that the American church has the ability to go through difficult times. We, we've seen a little bit of what happens when a little bit of junk shows up. What would happen if our relationship with God was defined like theirs was? They were persecuted. There are 10 million, 10 million Christians buried in the catacombs of Rome that were executed in an arena somewhere. Nero used to take humans and tie them to poles and, and set them on fire and have torches to light the streets of Rome at nighttime. Evil beyond our ability to even comprehend. We think our world's evil. It is, but it's not the world that was there. But that church was able to thrive under that condition, and the more he tried to extinguish it, the greater it spread. How do you get 10 million saints in one city? Now, that's a revival. The revival is, is the fact they're all buried there. We know how many there are as a result of the revival that took place. So difficulties are not going to destroy us. They make us uncomfortable. Hopefully, they turn us back to God so that we start connecting to God the way God wants us to connect so that, that we're not letting the world destroy us. My wife read me the little thing that Sarah wrote about her dad today. And it was an incredible statement about dad. In it, she asked her dad about a bad day. And his response was, honey, life is too short to have a bad day. So I'd rather live life without a bad day than to focus on the junk that shows up around us. Now, our world encourages us to become victims of everything. That's your world. Matter of fact, that's part of what's called the free market capitalistic society. That's America. What that means is I've got a product to sell you. Now, to get you to buy it, I've got to convince you your life is worthless without it. How much junk do you have at your house you don't use? Why do you have it? Because somebody convinced you that without it, your life is deficient, so you go buy glass cases that you can you put a chicken in and it'll be cooked by the time you... Look, look at the number one gifts that show up every Christmas. Last year it was an Instapot. There's no telling what it's going to be this year. They got a new gadget out there that all of us going to be deficient without. And so they focus on us in such a way to make us feel worthless, broke, and defective. And if we're not careful, that's the way we're going to view life. 
or when we get together and we start singing the songs of victory and of praise and, and, and we start singing songs about uh, uh, hallelujah and worshiping God, all of a sudden the atmosphere changes. That's why it's imperative that we assemble together on a regular basis. Church is not some convenient. It's something if I don't have it, then I don't have the ability to connect my faith to your faith. What happens if I have a bad day? If I can get to the house of God on a bad day and and what you worship, then my bad day just starts disappearing because I've started connecting to your faith. And, And when I connect to your faith and we put those two faiths together, I never recognized the fact. Someone pointed that out to me this weekend in Seattle, Washington, that that the, the Scripture implied that if one person does something, something might happen. But if a bunch of people get together and connect their faith, then incredible things can happen. So when we come together in the house of God and we get in focus, one mind, one accord, and we start enjoying being with one another. We get our hostilities out of the way. We don't come with hurt feelings or, 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 or come with chips on our shoulder because somebody didn't speak to me or somebody didn't shake my hand. Somebody didn't act like they knew I was even present. And I, we connect. It remains to be seen what God is going to do in our world. Now, I know that according to Joel, there will be a revival in the last days. There may be people who fall away, but there will be a much greater revival than those people who get sidetracked and and fall to the wayside. There's going to be revival at least eight times greater than the first one because he declared in the last days, I will send the former and the latter rain together. He also declared that the latter rain will be seven times greater than the first rain. So if it's seven plus one, that's eight. This has to be at least eight times or possibly 14 times. I don't know. Let's stay with the small number. Is anybody looking for a day when 24,000 people start speaking in tongues as the Spirit of God begins to move because that somebody connected their faith with somebody else. See, that's what happens when we don't get distracted by the world that's around us and we get connected and focused on the world we're looking for. See, unfortunately, we've lived in our world long enough that sometimes we've got our eyes on this world instead of his world. I remember mom and dad used to sing a song about this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. This is not my home. This is not what I'm looking for. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I'm looking forward to the day I get to be in his presence. I'm looking forward to the day I I get to see him. I've got questions I want to ask him, and I know he's going to answer them, and I'm looking forward to that day that I can be in his presence. 
for me to live, that's, that, that's just part of, of what I can be to help those that are around me. To die means I get to be with him. I can have any kind of relationship that I desire with God. But as a result, as Paul starts talking to these people, he warns them as he gets down a little bit further in the letter. And he declares, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile, Greek or Gentile. I am not ashamed of the gospel. The literal translation says, the gospel has never made me blush. You will never walk out of God's presence with your head down and your face red because you've been shamed, embarrassed, or humiliated. God does not respond like humans do. God doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. God is not offended by me. He's not offended by you. People defy him, but he didn't walk away. He didn't turn his back on them. God's not offended by us humans. It took grandkids to figure that out. They, they say things that are not nice. They're not kind. They're not made out of sugar and spice and everything nice either. I don't like you. You're not my boss. You can't tell me what to do. I'm not going to be your friend no more. Then the Lord says, son, what you're experiencing right now is what I experience when you act like that. Because you act like that more than they act like that. So God's not offended by us. He don't throw us away when we mess up. He's not trying to wreck my life. He's trying to give me the best life possible. I guess one of the greatest things my dad ever taught me in life is that in families, everybody is allowed to make mistakes. He used to shake a pencil at us, say, why is there eraser on this pencil? The answer is, so you can erase your mistakes. God has given us the ability to erase our mistakes. My little children, sin not. But if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Peter says, repent you therefore and be converted that your sin may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come to the presence of the Lord. Blot it out. Take that sponge, dip it in vinegar and water, get it wet, squeeze it out, lay it on the skin. When you rub it across it, the vinegar and water dissolves the ink. The sponge acts like a vacuum cleaner, sucks the, the ink right off the pages and you get a blank page. That's blotting out. God said, if you'll just show up at my altar and you'll repent, I'll give you my blood. And when you apply my blood to your life, there will not be a record of anything that's happened in your life of where you've been or where you're going. Now, where can you get a deal like that? God's not offended by us. He don't get his feelings hurt. David screamed at God. Psalms chapter 4 says, Hear me, O 
God of my righteousness. Hear me when I call. He's literally screaming. It's imperative. He's screaming at God. God, I demand you listen right now. I need you. Scream at him. He won't slap you or kick you or throw you out. He'll just reach in your brain and trip a memory and remind you of a lion and a bear. And you'll have to remember, oh, when I was in distress, you made a, you made a door where there wasn't one. When I got caught in the corner and couldn't get out, you just created a door where there wasn't a door. And I was allowed to escape because you always make a way from me. I can't forget how great he is and his desire for me in my life. I'm not ashamed. The gospel don't make me blush. It wasn't, he wasn't embarrassed by it. He was proud to be a Christian. It was the gospel had never caused him one moment of discomfort. I'll say to you today, living for Jesus has never caused me one moment of discomfort. It's been the greatest life I could have possibly imagined. I can't imagine what my life would have been without him. But because of that, there's never been a moment in my life I felt uncomfortable because of God. God's desire is to connect to us through us. It's when we connect our faith allows God to start operating in a mighty way, a greater way. When Peter stepped out of the boat on to the Sea of Galilee, it didn't matter how big the waves were. Why? Because he was already in the supernatural. You're not supposed to stand on water. He's already there. So it doesn't matter how big the waves were. When you step into that arena with God, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. It doesn't matter how big Goliath is. You just say, I need some stone. Just give me an opportunity at that uncircumcised. When will the church get that attitude? I'm convinced you are the devil's worst nightmare. If it ever dawned on us, our abilities and what we can do to wreck his world, we'd get up every morning and say, Jesus, what part of the devil's territory would you like rearranged today? Just point me in a direction. I want to rearrange somebody's life. I can tell you every time I prayed that, God sent somebody for me to touch. God let you rearrange his territory. Hey, for 4,000 years, he caused God's kids all kinds of chaos. Now God gives his kids the opportunity for the next 2,000 years to wreck his life. We, you and I, connecting faith together can cause the devil more chaos than he can ever imagine. So if we want the world out there to change, it starts by you and I connecting with each other. If one puts a 1,000 to flight and two puts 10,000 to flight, what does three do? 
Well, according to the Old Testament, three lepers put a hundred thousand member army to fight and they killed one another. So if three puts ten hundred thousand to fight, that would mean four would put a million to fight. And five would put ten million to fight. Don't take big numbers, folks. It just takes three or four people saying, hey, let's hook our faith together. Let's just see what we can do and how God can operate and where God can take us and, and what kind of incredible things can take place when we can just connect our faith. I need to get to where you are because I've heard of your faith and I need a little bit of your faith. I, I want to see and connect with that faith you have to stand up in the face of Nero and Caesars and never be intimidated by them. History says they had to change Paul's guards every 30 minutes. Nero only had 10,000 trained assassins. If you do the calculation, it takes less than eight months to go through all 10,000. When Paul was chained to a prisoner, he didn't, he didn't look at these two assassins that he knew had killed other people at, at, at the, the request of Nero. It didn't terrify him. When they locked those chains shut, he had a captive audience. He wasn't captive. They were. And he'd start saying, hey, boys, have you heard about Jesus Christ of Nazareth? And they had to get him out of there because he kept converting them. And he didn't just convert them. History says he converted Nero's wife. And that's why he says in the flipping letter, all the palace know about me. Every city should know about us. When Pentecost exploded on Azusa Street in California, according to what I've been reading recently, everybody in town knew what was going on at that revival. There was a gentleman who showed up one night who had his leg amputated, and he was wearing a, a stump, and, and it had gotten infected and he simply asked Seymour, I need you to pray for me because my leg is infected and it's, it's gangrene and if, if something doesn't happen, they're going to have to take it off. So would you just pray that the Lord would heal the gangrene in my leg? Seymour prayed for that gentleman. He didn't heal the gangrene in his leg. He grew him a new leg. And in front of their eyes, that leg grew full as a result of his prayer. Now, folks, that's where we came from. That's our DNA. That's how we got here. That is not part of the past. That is still present today. All we have to do is start connecting our faith together, and that's why I need you. That's why I come to church that's why I want to be connected to you. I, I can't understand how nobody wants to be in the house of God because it's here that I get to connect my faith with your faith. And if we can get three or four, hey, we can change a million people with just four of us. Five of us can take down the whole city of Houston. It's less than 10 million. So just five of us decide, hey, we're going to connect on a regular basis. We're going to support one another. We're going to pray for one. We're going to connect our faith together. 
See, he went on to say that, that there were some people that knew God, but they glorified him not as God. Neither were they thankful. They knew God. That's not the world. That's not sinners. The word actually means an intimate knowledge of. They had connected to God. But what happened was they didn't glorify him as God. Now, we think to glorify him, we have to put him on a pedestal. We have to say things that, that give him accolades. We, we got to say words of, of glory and beauty to, that we're, we're, we're giving him glory. But that's not what the word translates. The word doxa literally translates to develop an opinion about, to hang around God long enough that you got an opinion about what he can do and what he will do. It, it's to be in his presence long enough that you understand what God's really all about. You see, I, I haven't hung around him as much as I want to, but I can tell you from the little bit I've been around him, one thing I know is that God still is a healer, that he still heals today, that he is a deliverer, that he has the power to change. He hadn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. If God ever does one thing once, he's obligated to repeat it. If he don't, he's changed. And if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, if he's ever done it in the past, he will do it in the present because he is unchanging. I've got an opinion. There's nothing my God can't do. There's nothing that God can't take care of or handle. He's not going to do for me what I can do for myself. But when I get to that place, it's beyond me. God has the ability to step in. And when God steps in, life begins to change. So you can't tell me God don't heal. He healed mom when I was six years of age and she was dying of cancer. She couldn't even walk across the house. Mark was about a year and a half old and Margaret was a baby. Doctor said she'd never live. I used to sneak up to her bedroom and listen to her pray every day about 1 o'clock. The ladies on our street would come to our home and take care of us. They'd, they'd cook meals and wash clothes and clean mom's house for a different one every day. And they just, for nine months, there was a new lady at our house every day. And I'd go stand at the door. Mom got real sick. She got lost down to about 80-something pounds. She was skin and bones. And I'd go stand at that door and I'd hear her pray, and I never heard her complain one time. She didn't say, God, why this horrible thing come? She'd just start saying, Jesus, I am so thankful that you thought I was worthy enough to fill me with your spirit and allow me to be baptized in your wonderful name. And I'm thankful, Jesus, that you fill my brother with the Holy Ghost and you fill my, my mom with the Holy Ghost and you fill my aunt with the Holy Ghost. And, and there were about 37 members of her family got the Holy Ghost in a six-month period of time as a result uh, of their introduction. And she just kept telling God how grateful she was for all these incredible things she, he had done. She'd pray in tongues for a while. It didn't matter to her, those ladies that lived on our street, her, 
Everybody could hear her pray. And then she'd close her prayer by saying, Jesus, you healed me when they said I couldn't have any more children. I have a brother 17, was 17 years old than me. He passed, he was 80 when he passed away. You healed me when they said I couldn't have any more and you gave me four more kids. Jesus, how could it be your will for some other woman to raise these kids? She lived to be 84. She raised her kids. She raised about 10 kids from the church. She raised grandkids. Sherry spent most of her life at her house. Why? Because God hadn't changed. And I got an opinion about him. He ain't about to disappoint you or forsake you. I once was young. Now I'm old. And I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed out begging bread. He hasn't changed. And if we can just get together and get our faith connected to each other, we'll step out of a boat and walk on water and start walking in the supernatural. And we don't care how big the waves come because we know who we're walking to. And if he says, get out of the boat, get out of the boat. If he says, come, please come. Wherever he's leading us, we got to be willing to go. My friend asked me last weekend in his church in Oklahoma, Brother Hughes, have you met anybody the Lord's healed of COVID? I said, No. He said, well, I haven't either, and I've called all over America asking. So that means it's the will of God for us to go through it. Why? I think I understand. Maybe I think I might have an idea. If your body can fight this disease and win it, there is nothing else Satan can bring that's going to cause you a problem. Because your body, my doctor told me last week, your body, according to my blood test, has the antigens of that, this disease, and it's never going to affect you again. Because God records in my body all the diseases I fought, and there's no telling what Satan's going to unleash on this world in the end of time. So he's got to get his church prepared so that we don't get panicked over what's around us, but we just say, okay, I need my faith partner. I need to connect somebody at church. I need somebody I can get on my team, and together we're going to start having some faith. And, and, and if we can get two or three of us together, hey, we can cause a lot of chaos and the world that's around us. So my question to you tonight are, are you tired of Satan giving you a bad day? Well, if you are, why don't you get up and say, all right, Jesus, he's done it long enough. I'm ready to give him a bad day. And what part of his territory do you want rearranged today? I can promise you that the weapons of your warfare that Paul talked about are weapons Jesus took from Satan because he said, if a strong man keeps his house, 
his goods are at peace. But if a stronger come, he takes his house and his armor wherein he trusts us, and he divides the spoils. Who gets the spoils of war? The king's kids. Who are we? The king's kids. So when he conquered Satan, we inherited all of the spoils of war that took place at the cross when he conquered Satan on that cross and he screamed, it is finished. Or he declared, I have won. And when he screamed, I won, all of earth celebrated as a result. And you and I, he causes us to triumph. I don't have to triumph. I just get to enjoy his. So connect your faith with somebody Quit letting your life be controlled by your attitude or by your feelings that you're not any good and you can't do nothing right and how could God love you? And Could I point out, if you've ever gone down to water in that baptistry in his name, he cut off every sin off your life. It remains in that water. It's for the remission of sin. Paul says the circumcision, your heart is now Empty of every sin you ever committed. If it's buried in his blood, where in the world does Satan get a record of your past? If it's buried in his blood, and if you make a mistake after the cross and you repent, and he says, all right, let's blot that page out. Take my blood. Hang it on a nail by your house so that every time Satan walks by, he has to realize that you messed up. But if there's, there's no record. You can't drag anything out of his past and remind him of it because it's all a blank page, and it has been totally. So if it's a blank page, where, pray tell, can Satan drag your past up and remind you of your past? I'm going to make you real uncomfortable. He can't. He has no access. So the only record of your sin is between your ears. And it's you that has the problem with yesterday, not God, not Satan. You have the power to say to yesterday, I refuse to let yesterday define who I am or where I'm going. I have not quite apprehended that which I'm apprehended, but this one thing, I'm forgetting those things which are behind, reaching to, I will not spend my life looking at where I came from. I'm going to spend my life looking at where I'm going. I am going on a journey with Jesus, and where he takes me, that's his choice. But I'm just going to follow him. Every door that opens, I'm going to step through it. Every opportunity that comes, I'm going to take advantage of because that's where he leads me. My flesh is the only thing that has access to my past. And it's my flesh that keeps reminding me of what a failure I am and how disappointing I am and how worthless I am. If I ever get close to the cross, Jesus never uses the cross to remind you of your sin. That wasn't an issue at the cross, folks. You got that one backwards. You let the religious world convince you that the cross is where your sin's at. 
your sin showed up in Pilate's hall tied to a whipping post. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was only with his stripes we are healed. That's Pilate's hall. When he got to the cross, he crawled on the cross. They didn't force him. They couldn't make him. He just crawled on it and stretched his hand out and let them, let them crucify him and nail him to a cross because your value was what put him on the cross, not your worthlessness, nor your past, but how valuable you are and how important you are to him and what he desires for your life. The cross will never drag your past up. It will free you from it. The cross will give you a revelation of who you are and where he wants to take you, not how worthless you are and all the junk that's back here. He's going to turn you around and say, this is where we're headed. This is what I have for your life. This is what I want to, you to see and what you, I want you to enjoy. It's your privilege if you want to enjoy it. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Why? Because I get to connect faith with so I don't know who it's going to connect with. I don't even have to know. All I've got to do is show up with mine, and, and my faith is going to find somebody else in the room, and it's going to connect with it. And when we can connect three or four of them on a regular basis, hey, we'll start changing everything around us as a result of us just, okay, Jesus, this is your world, and it's your revival you want. So how can I help bring this revival about? What can I do? that's going to open that door for the world to see. Let's connect our faith. Let's connect our faith. When we do, we'll start seeing a change in the world around us. Please stand. Gracious Father, thank you today for the power of your word. Thank you for recording in it all of the little details that helped my life become better. So many times I read it without seeing the details. But when I take time and I look at the details and I realize that, that my faith has the ability to make it known around the world before your apostle ever could get there. My faith would have the ability to send him a message and he would understand the faith that is in this place. Jesus, I pray today that we don't let our world cause us an incredible amount of, of, of guilt and an incredible amount of fear and anger, but we'd get our eyes focused back upon you and we'd start praying as we get up every morning, Jesus, what part of the devil's territory do you need rearranged today? Just point me in that direction because I, I want to cause him just as much trouble as he caused your kids for 4,000 years. I don't have as much time as they had, so let me do it twice as much as they did. Let me Give me the ability to cause him twice the chaos he's caused your family and your children. Thank you for allowing me to be part of your incredible family. I worship you today, Jesus. I don't have to have faith that you are a healer. I know you're a healer. I don't have to have faith that you deliver. I know you deliver. Thank you today. Thank you today.
for showing and making yourself known to me so I could see your glory and your beauty and the things you've done in my life. Bless your people today. In Jesus' name, worship him.